Are you guys ready to kick this thing off? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I got nothing else to do right now. Happy <laughs> Fleb, everybody. Welcome back. We've, what uh, the hell is Fleb? Fleb, Fleb was is, the crazy word Dan said at the end. Of oh, that. you're right. <laughs> so we told him we told him to go nuts, say the craziest thing, and he said the word Fleb. And, it was, and then I uh, showed you the picture of him. Then we we, we met Fleb too. <laughs> it's the um, that is such a Rick and Morty word. The how I met your mother approach to closing one season and opening the next one. We ended with a Fleb in 2021. No, 2022. Boy, <laughs> it's gonna be one, one of those days. Have you ever wondered why it is that we do what we do and who we do it with? Then this is a podcast for you. An exploration of human beings through systemic psychology and Unani biotypes. With Rodrigo Garcia Platas, Ross Everett, and Brian McElhaney. This is Biotypical. How was uh, your break? Did you get a break? Not really. Like no. once, once you're a dad, there is no such thing as a break. Like I was, okay, we, we can even brag about this. We're, we're doing the couples curriculum with the, with the Jewish community in Mexico with amazing results. And, and we love the people that are going through it. They love it. It's, it's been amazing. But I had, I had sessions with all of the couples in the last two days and married couples have extreme stressful situations in, in, in holidays, especially when the rest of your family is involved. Mm. But the way they handled it, the way most of them use the tools to handle it, created people from their families, even reacting and saying, what the hell did you do? Just looking at how they were fixing things with their partner and how loving they were being and how they were able to understand what was really happening instead of just falling into the argument. And even their families were like, what the hell are you doing? It's, like wow. in a good way? Like, what's going on? Why are you so good with your partner when you're crazy with us? Many of them were like, what the hell are you doing? Because we've never seen you be able to treat your like partner like this or solve a problem like this. They haven't done, for the most part, like uh, MITT or, or Miss uh None like, of them have. Yeah. None of them have. I, I've always found like the difference in relationships between people that have done some sort of personal development work that teaches responsibility, accountability, and those who haven't, it's, it's like day and night, you know, between the, you did this to me conversation versus I am feeling this, like, this is a, a, a like when, when therapists say like, use, I feel statements. It's like a way yeah. to say, be responsible for your own experience. Yeah. Um, but it's just, it's such a different thing. Like when I see couples that are like accountable for their own experience in the world versus not, you know, it's very blamey, very victim-y. So I, I mean, think the very, the very basic tool that we teach them in the couples curriculum, and, and it's very basic, but well used as one of the most powerful things is never actually allowing your brain to start the argumentation of why you're feeling what you're feeling. Address what you're feeling. Don't address the argument that, that justifies why you feel that way. Yeah. And, and they've learned it beautifully. Yeah, that's such a problem in fights, isn't it? It's like, yes. this happened. And by the way, let's not talk about that. Let's talk about all these connections I've made about why that is. And now that's what the argument's about. And the other person's like, exactly. Wait, well, I don't agree <laughs> with that. Like, I've made connections this way. Then you're arguing about your two meanings of the argument. Not exactly. The argument. And the huge problem with that, and this is something that I'm very proud to say that most of them got beautifully, is that once you argue about the meaning of why you feel a certain way, it's unsolvable. 
It's unsolvable. It's impossible for you to get satisfaction and for the other person not to feel attacked. Impossible. But if all I say, like something as basic as this, um, one, one of the ladies in the, in the couple's curriculum came up with this. And, and as I was explaining this, she was saying, oh, so instead of saying, you're never here with me, it's just about saying, today I felt lonely. And, and I said, yes, because when you say, why do I feel lonely? Because every time I need him, he's not around. Because every time I'm like dragging the children to their, to, to their extracurricular lessons, he's never involved. And then when you argue about that, of course, he's going to fight back. You're calling him a bad father. You're calling him someone who's never present and who's, who's literally disappointing you in a million ways. And then she put it to the test. And all she said is, today I felt lonely. The day after, the guy was ready to spend time with her, like show her love. I've been telling both men and women, learn how to be a little bit manipulative with what you're trying to create with your partner by being absolutely vulnerable and honest about what you actually feel. Whoa, what a cool paradox. It is. A little while being honest. I clenched during the first part of that sentence and then unclenched (laughs) during the last part of it. My friend, uh, my friend Dan, who's the head writer of General Hospital, which we should get him on the show. I mean, my God, talk about creating writing drama. But he always has a he's a quote that he said in college. I love, which is the way someone feels is never wrong, which I like because then it's like if you just say how you feel, no one can be like, no. You can't argue that. You can argue all the meanings you make of this easily. Exactly. But you can't argue. I, I just had a little epiphany, which is I think the reason why a lot of people really avoid argument is because when we don't know ourselves or when we're young, most people actually, when you Wait, argue. Brian, where do you live? I don't know these people that avoid arguments. You don't know people that avoid arguments? <laughs> I live in America. Uh, I grew up in the South. Um, they argue by saying, bless your heart. Bless your heart. Bless his heart. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's, I hate that. I, I, it's not great. I'm sure you've met a lot of people who don't argue that keep a lot inside. I know a lot yes. of people that are like this. But I think <laughs> – Dania says, I'll pray for you. I'll pray That's for you. That's the worst one. That's that one. the worst one. But I think I just realized – I think the reason people often really avoid arguments is because to them, an argument is just arguing – the meaning. And it's like when you get stuck in those arguments, it feels like a puzzle. It feels like an escape room with no way out. You feel you feel crazy because you're like, I don't even know what's happening. I can't even figure out like what I'm saying and what they're saying. I don't know. I don't know why we're not meeting anywhere near the middle. I don't know how to get out of this except to explode and walk away. And if that's what your framework for an argument is, it makes sense that you never want to get involved because you don't even yeah. know there's a healthy way to do it. But if you learn there is a healthy way to do it, then it's like, oh, now this is like an escape room with a key somewhere and I can find it. But yeah, if you've all only been in escape rooms with zero way out all every time you've ever done it, then yeah, which is arguing the meaning of stuff. I think it has to do with, with agreeableness. Uh, like people that are more dominant are willing to destroy the relationship and go into uncomfortable places within the relationship just to make a point. But people that are more agreeable, people that are more easygoing will value their certainty if they're melancholic within their relationship and avoiding confrontation with every fiber of their being and phlegmatics are just going to say as long as we're together (laughs) (laughs) there's there's another component of this and i'm like this is the way that i feel when i show up in terms of i'm like i weigh is there an end result here that's worth the confrontation or the conflict and if the answer is like no like like i'm not going to argue this i just 
stuff it all down, like my point of view on that. I'm like, I'm not going to defend myself here. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say, oh, okay, yeah, okay. And one thing I learned from you, Rodrigo, is just being able to say like, wow, I'm like, I'm really sorry. I never want you to feel like that. That helps so much. Well, there's, there's, there's two things that I, I've learned from you that like were really big game changers because I think once you get into like personal development work and you learn about mm -hmm. responsibility, mm -hmm. at least uh, this is the way it happened for me, is anytime someone would use victim language, I would want to coach them out of it, which is the <laughs> fucking worst thing I could have done. The worst. Right? I didn't do this to you. You'd say, I'm sorry you feel that way, right? Which is not actually an apology and that would, that would heighten things. That would make people like even angrier. Yes. And instead of just trying to coach them out of it, instead of saying, well, I know I didn't create this in you, to be able to just take the hit on the eagle, a ego, and say... <laughs> in the beak of the eagle. In the beak of the eagle. <laughs> take the hit on the eagle. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was like, able, is there a cool phrase I didn't know about? <laughs> now there is. You got to just take Welcome the hit on the eagle. Welcome to deal with you guys all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and, and be able to say like, wow, like, I'm really sorry. I didn't mean to do that, you yeah. know, and, and saying like, okay, yeah, I'll, I will say in this moment that I did that just to kind of move on from this because otherwise it's going to get into a fight about nuance and semantics and it, it's going to totally distract from whatever's going on. But what I notice within myself is I tend to shut down. Because my brain is going like a mile a minute, like I didn't fucking do this. Da, 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 da. And I'm noticing my defense mechanism, and I just like shut down. And like the part of me that was like, is pretty slow, isn't it? A mile a minute is uh, sixty miles an That's hour. Sixty miles an hour. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's you're all right. relative. If, if you're, if it's, if, if you're standing, it's extremely fast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're using just your legs, I mean, that's fucking. <laughs> Sorry, that's great. Boss. No, it's okay. But if you're in an airplane, it's just like that's a that's slow fucking airplane. <laughs> I missed you guys so much. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like that's like the 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 nuance of like I notice like I I shut down and maybe this is just me although I doubt it is because I know we've got some like analyzing phlegmatics listening. Yeah, it's to probably this. just you, Ross. Probably you're the only person in the world that oh, has thank this. God I'm you, unique. you and eagles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's very common. But it's like it's 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 I I would call it conflict averse, but the internal battle rages on. So I'm not like, oh, I'm glad everyone's happy. I'm like, I'm going to shut myself down so that I don't go making a bigger mess of this versus Brian's whole escape room thing. Maybe it's like, I don't think that there's a key in the escape room to go back to that analogy. Yeah. What I can tell you is that you're defining something that's very important, which is we're assuming that most people that are not confrontational are like Brian. And Brian has a, a, a toolkit psychologically that most people don't. And, and what is and, it? I mean, people like you can avoid the conflict because you can see the value in something else and you can forget about the conflict and actually move on. Mm -hmm. So you value that, that, that experience, that uh, like state of the relationship. But most people that avoid confrontation do, do not have the ability to move on. All they do is they internalize the problem and make it bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger inside of them until they can't live with it anymore. Talking about confrontation and, and what Roz was saying about the, the giving and receiving uh, feedback, that, that specific tool that you were talking about, which is making yourself responsible, but not guilty about something. Like when someone walks up to you and tells you, I felt like this with you, it's by saying, 
that's clearly a result that I created in you. It's not intentional. I wasn't think of it, thinking of it. And I'm very sorry if I made you feel that way or that I made you feel that way. I never want anyone to feel like that around me. Something that I find fascinating is how disarmed people feel after you tell them that. I, I just had a therapist and without saying any names, but um, I, I just had a therapist that's going to a training that I did in Mexico. And, and at some point she said, I really need to give you a feedback after like three sessions. Uh, and I said like, sure. Uh, then she forgot about the feedback because we were having an amazing session. And in the end, I was the one that, that brought it back. And I was like, I really want to know, like you, you had something to tell me as a feedback. And she gave me a feedback uh, about how I, I was presenting myself at the beginning in front of a crowd. And it was very interesting to see the reaction when I said, oh, thank you for telling me that. I, I promise to look into it. Like, I never want anyone to feel like that around me. And that's, that's a good feedback. And seeing the other brain ready for the fight and ready to prove a point and not understanding what's happening in front of them is always fascinating. Like, people are not yes. used to having someone actually receive the feedback. Yeah, they're, like, ready to be, like, I'm, like, ready to make my point. And you're, like, got yeah. it, bye. And they're, like, wait. <laughs> I have a dissertation ready. Like, I know. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Here's a difference, though, because, you know, we've got the melancholic. We've got the sanguine on here. Even when I do the I never want anyone to feel like that and we move on, there's a part of me that's still holding on to this energy yeah. and guilt of I made someone feel this way or I because most of the time it's I feel misinterpreted. And I think we, we've talked about this on the past and the past on the podcast, which is like my my biggest thing is people will take my words or actions out of out of context of the intention with which I created them. And mm -hmm. I think that's that's a huge force of what's driven to me to be an analyzing phlegmatic because mm -hmm. I need to choose my words so carefully because I'm like, how do I make this so that there's no possible misunderstanding of what I'm saying and where I'm coming from? Wow. You felt very misunderstood in your life, Ross, by the things you say. Yeah, things I've said, things I've done. Um, and this is one of the things that was like, you know, the movement into the promoting personality. Like, in my mind, the promoter hurts people. In my mind, the promoter is misunderstood as this awful, mean, arrogant person when all I'm yeah. doing is just trying to be the freest version of myself. So as I'm sure people that have listened to this podcast for two, three years – I choose my words very carefully. Yes, and if you're you watching the video recording, you'll see my eyes. I'm constantly, my eyes are going to the left. I'm scanning for what's the perfect way to say this in a way in which it cannot be misinterpreted. You even do it with me. Yes. When I'm expressing something, you're thinking of how to translate this for people that might misunderstand it and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Not to say that there, like, there's absolutely, and look, I'm doing it right now, but there's a, there's a, a silver <laughs> lining to this. It's giving me this superpower where it's like, if, if you or anyone around me says something, I'm always there trying to be the safety net of anyone that can misinterpret it by saying like, no, 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 here's his intention and here's how he was trying to say it. So it keeps, you know, the, the, the peace, uh, you know, unless we're talking about eagles getting their beaks smacked off. But like that's the, <laughs> that's the modality of my, of my brain. That's really interesting. Um, I have something kind of, it's not opposite, but like I found – because I used to not speak up at all when I was younger. I was, I mean, unless I was like in a very close group of friends, but I was very nervous about ever talking. So I, I learned that the only way I could speak up often is I had to just start talking without knowing what I was saying. Like I could not, if I thought too much about it, I just wouldn't do anything. 
So I would just start talking like, I've got a really interesting point to make. And I didn't know what I was about to say, <laughs> but I would just kind of start saying shit, which is <laughs> how I mostly operate. such an amazing operate. balancing melancholic risk. It's the only way I was able to do it is I was like, if I just start talking, I know I'll probably land it by the end. And I just, I, I normally do. <laughs> But sometimes I'll just like, I'll keep going off on crazy threads and I'll be like, oh no, I don't know where I'm going here. I don't know what's happening. Verbal but, uh, acrobatics. Yeah, I, I, I have to find a way to land it in the middle. But I often don't know, I'm not very careful with my work. I mean, I try to be as I'm saying it, but I'm kind of picking them out of the cloud as I'm talking. I actually uh, just realized something as you were saying that. I think being an extrovert has way more to do with your perception of what's happening and what's guiding you. Uh, than really like actual confidence. Yeah, let, let me give you an example. I very rarely think of what I'm going to say. Yeah. Very rarely. I know the points that I want to make, but my guiding light as I'm building a statement for someone is them. Yeah. It's never like, am I making this point or not? It's, it's always very mechanical and it's always like, is this landing? No, okay, let me try it this way. And I might change a statement midway and I really enjoy it. It feels like a puzzle. Yes. That's, I mean, I, is that true for everyone? Because I've noticed like I, when I have a very hard time communicating with people, it's when I, they're not really giving me much. And I'm just sort of like halfway through a point and I'm like, I don't know where you are with this and I don't know where to go with this. <laughs> like I'm, this is, I'm kind of using you as a guide for where I should take this conversation. And it like drives me crazy when people don't. So when there's people who are very like, like when I talk to Janice, I, I can just sense her energy at every move of my conversation. So I just know exactly how to like yeah. to weave through it. And it's great. I can go on forever. And Janice is amazing as, as like someone yes. bouncing information yes. off from you, and just guiding with yourself with her, with her energy. Absolutely. Oh, there, there's another component to this that I'm realizing, which is how safe do I feel in the conversation that I'm having? Like, do mm. I know that this person understands me at my core and they're not going to hold me or nitpick my words? I can get into like a flow state, which is kind of what you were just describing, Rodrigo, which is like, I know the points I want to make and I'm just kind of mm -hmm. like allowing it to flow. Those are the conversations where people go, that was amazing. What did you just say? And I go, I don't remember. <laughs> like it just, it came out. That's what I always say when people go like, can you repeat that? Yeah. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> I wish. Yeah. That would have been nice. Right. You know, it's um, actually one of the reasons why I love doing stand up is it's a way that I get to have a point that I want to make. It's pre very prepared and I don't necessarily, you, you still, you vibe with the audience reaction, but I don't care. I'm able to be like, I'm going to make this point and however you're feeling towards it, I'm getting through it. Whereas if I'm just having a one-on-one -on -one with someone, if someone mm. is like, you know, stonewalling me with like their expression or anything, I can like kind of back off on them. But like their, their actual energy in a one-on-one -on -one setting is way more informative of how I speak compared to me on stage. A, a yeah. stage version of me talking, I get to kind of like be that guy just sort of does it. I have a, this, I'm here for the things I have to say and that's what it is. And I like that. It's my space to do that, I guess. Charlie just wrote something that's very, very true. Nothing feels better for a sanguine than remembering the point that we're trying to make. The <laughs> amount of times, especially in casual conversations, where I find myself in the middle of a statement that I completely forget where I was going. Yeah. Like if I'm in a session, if I'm in a workshop, uh, if, if I'm in any time of thera therapeutical process, I know the point I'm trying to land. But usually in normal conversations, I, I do this with my wife all the time. I'm in the middle of a rant and I go like, I don't know what point I was trying to make. <laughs> Yeah, we've seen it. <laughs> you don't have to tell us that. <laughs> Leave me alone, Brian. <laughs> anyway, getting back to conflict. Um, I, I, one of my theories in the past few years is almost, and I know this is not 
always should be the case, but I'm just sort of like, do it, do it as just get, do the conflict. It's almost always good on the other side, whether or not it blows up your relationship or whether or not you get through it to the thing and you become closer to the person. Either way, that thing that was weighing on you is gone. And God, every time hearing I've that like, makes me nauseous, even though I think it's absolutely correct. It is, hearing it, I, it I, makes me nauseous. I get that, but like I've I've had to have some tough convos in the past couple of years, and it's like I feel the ones especially that like kind of in if there is a blow up, I feel sick for like a day afterwards. But then after that's done and that's settled, I feel and it's like digested a bit. I feel so much better. So it's like I don't know. I think for the most part. You know, I'm sure there's circumstances where it's like, just don't have the, don't engage in the conflict. But for most of them, I think, yeah, try to just like go right into it. But it's hard. I mean, there's so many, I say that right now and there's so many, I'm thinking of like conversations I can have with people. I'm like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. But, you know. In this conversation, I'm actually realizing that because I don't have those two things that you guys just described, like paying attention and being extremely careful with what I'm going to say and not wanting to be misinterpreted and avoiding the conflict, I don't have any of that. And because of that, I feel like I've paid a really high price in, in, in many settings, which is if I'm misunderstood, I usually go like, that's your problem. Like, yeah. I'm, I'm fine with it. But then what happens is if enough people misunderstand me in a certain way, I start having this dissident group of people that think that I'm an asshole in, in like specific ways. And it's something that I don't have today in my life. And I'm really thankful for it. I've worked with it, but I did pay the, a really high price with it. Like having people within my community, within, within my students for years that are like absolutely convinced that I'm evil somehow just because they didn't understand something and I couldn't care less about what they interpret. And you didn't go back to like, make sure, no, 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 no. I was being misunderstood. Yeah. You're just like, well, yeah, okay, no, that's, that was what Ross was doing. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I go back like you got, no, he meant it like this, you know, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably why I don't have it anymore. Yeah. He, 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 no, it was like, he, it was from the, my favorite thing is um, I go, well, English is his second language. <laughs> <laughs> start start saying third just yeah, in case. yeah 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 you know i'm like i know he speaks that's it really well that's such a good well, excuse yeah. for anything well, he murdered my mother it, yeah. english is a sin <laughs> i thought she was asking yeah. for it you know in some cultures murdering one's mother is the highest form of respect so <laughs> you know it's whatever meaning you make yeah. onto that is what it is so if you want to interpret that as negative honestly that's your own stuff You're and i can assure to- you that he is so sorry and he never wants you to feel like that <laughs> and that's what he would say if he could actually speak English properly. Yeah. <laughs> they can. <laughs> anyway, take his course in English, BYB. To yeah. <laughs> where he is extremely precise. <laughs> I'm, well, if there's a culture where murdering your mother is the biggest honor, that I promise you that's not the Mexican culture. No. Dude, mothers <laughs> are untouchable in Mexico. <laughs> what is, what's real. like the worst... thing like isn't like one of the worst phrases that you can say in mexico something like your mother or something like that that's that's the worst one right yeah yeah well (laughs) it's it's so bad that for example when canelo when when the mexican boxer canelo fought fought, uh, the american boxer plant uh the american boxer was just thinking about like heating up the battle a little bit and there were they were in the press conference and then he said motherfucker and Canelo is learning to speak English, but, but he's not fluent in English. So he just heard fuck and mother, 
and he just threw a punch in the in the in the middle of a, of the press conference and everybody was like what the hell just happened well you do not say mother and fuck in the same phrase to a mexican man that doesn't speak english it, it carry it carries a lot more weight it's like how uh the c word in australia is pretty loose and free but here it's like one of the more offensive C-U-N-T? things see you next tuesday yeah is is that why like people like like what's his name jim jeffries just use it like yeah if you have an accent you can get away with it because they're like oh it's their culture but if you're an american and and you use that word uh there's gonna be some backlash it just it sounds harsher (laughs) charlie says that's one lovely mother you have sir to be murdered. Mm-hmm. Tell that to El Chapo and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, mothers are untouchable in Mexico. It, it has a lot to do with our history because the, the, the Mexican conquest history has this very interesting character, which is called the Malinche, Malitzin. And the Malinche was this abused slave that had been sold many times uh, between, between ancient... Uh, pre-Hispanic cultures in, 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 in this territory. And that's why she spoke many languages. She spoke Nahuatl from the, from the Aztecs. She spoke Mayan. And, and then when Cortes found her, they, I think they gave, they gave her to him as a gift uh, with a bunch of slaves. And, and when he realized that she, she could learn like many languages, she was, she was actually really good at it. So she learned Spanish and became the translator for the Spaniards as they were conquering all this land. So it's always felt like you abuse this woman that, that kind of betrayed the whole culture. And then like women became extremely important within that. And she became like, the mother of the two cultures, but at the same time, the one that betrayed one of them that mistreated her a lot. And every time you talk about the chingada, you're, you're actually historically talking about this woman that was abused. Uh, like we have that symbol in our heads very, very strongly. Yeah. So it's, interesting I, how like cultural I, context is. So stressful. I don't, I, I don't have anything like that that would like make me, I don't know, that mad of somebody. I mean, I guess personally, maybe, but like, I just think about that with anything, whether it's like some cultural thing you're insulting or someone insulting like a nationality or a sports team or what those things that people get like furious over in like those like in those macro thing ways, not like a thing personal to you, but just like a bigger thing. I'm like, I don't think I have one of those. It's so it's very intriguing to me because the U.S. is too big and it has so like such different subcultures and meanings. Something that I realized in California the first time I started working there more than a decade ago was that Californians kind of don't like being a part of the States. Every time I I go to a transformational workshop everywhere in the world, I always ask for a very specific chant or song that they have with which they celebrate their nationality. And everywhere I go, they have it. Like... Mexico en la piel, which is a song that I use in Mexico for this, like the the Chilean chant, chi chi chi, le le le, viva Chile. If you do that, the the national pride just becomes crazy. But the first time I tried that in the states, <laughs> USA USA with that chant, I'm, I didn't try it with USA USA, but I I asked for what song would bring that 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 like emotion in everyone. <clears throat> And I did it during an, during, during an exercise that's very deep and connected and most people are crying. And, and I played the song, 
something about from this land and being in this land. I don't know. This land, land is, is your land. land. Yes. yes. That, will, that will kill so, any boner. Any oh emotional God. boner. That I song. think it was something like that. I honestly I, The idea of someone crying remember. to that song. Is so <laughs> no, not, only, not only did they not cry, and I, and, and I started doing something that would make my mother disinherit me. Like my mom is Spanish and she does not like the States. My mom doesn't speak a word of English and she doesn't care. Like if she needs a pair of stocks that they don't sell in Mexico, she won't go to the US, she'll go to Europe for it. And if she okay. has to wait for years to save up money to go, she'll do it. Okay. But um, I, I started going against my mother's will and saying amazing things about the US and, and what, you, what, what the US has built as, a, as, a, as an empire and blah, 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 in a beautiful way. And the amount of people that started giving the whole statement the finger was mind-blowing. In, in California? Yes, in L.A. Yeah. The yeah. first time I tried this was with Americans was in L.A. And half oh, of the yeah. group just, just a, gave the bird. What year big, was this? This was 12 years ago. This makes sense. No, no on okay. the left especially, there's a big, like, fuck our country vibe. We have yep. that yeah. in a very strong. And it, it started yeah. around, I would say it really took hold uh, 2008, the recession. I would say uh, even the George Bush era. There was like you're right, yeah, yeah. When 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 uh, you know W. What? Bush, yeah, yeah. I would say that was where. It felt. In our lifetime, that was the first time I think that we saw the election system. Like like I, I think it started to question democracy because he mm. lost the popular vote, yet he won and the presidency. Won. Well, that's what's wrong yeah. with your electoral system, my friend. Oh, we're all in agreement. I mean, those who understand it are all in agreement about that. So I'm actually, I'm here with my friend, my friend, Jake, um, who I know Rodrigo's met, um, but he's, Wait, he's, he's working. there next to you. <laughs> he's, I think he's downstairs or they're off on a hike. Is he holding like that. We're hand big bear. off yeah. camera? <laughs> Jake, I was on, like, buddy. I thought there was someone who's been here. <laughs> well, no, because, but he's, there. he's very knowledgeable about politics and like what's going on. And, and he lives in DC, uh, the district Jake of Columbia. Smart. What? Jake, Jake is, is smart, brilliant, and he's funny. Yeah. And if I had thought better, I would have had him come be the guest on the podcast today. But um, we've been we were talking about this on the drive up. Is that D.C., the District of Columbia, which is like the the nation's capital, has a population of seven hundred thousand people. That's bigger than two states, bigger than um, Vermont, and I think it's a, a higher population than either Wyoming or or North Dakota. God, but, those are small states. I know, right? It's, it's vast, but, but... Dude, there's more people in my neighborhood. It's 700,000, yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah. But, but this um, District of Columbia doesn't have statehood, and it doesn't have representation. Yep. It's and not actually a state. It's not a state. So they don't have members of Congress, and they don't have senators. They get to vote for presidential elections, but still they're unrepresented uh, when it comes to Congress and when it comes to the Senate. Yep. Um, so there's a lot of stuff that, that goes on where it's like, does like, like, what does democracy mean? Do we actually have a democracy or has it been like gerrymandered, rigged in such a way where you have been gerrymandered because democracy literally comes from demos and kratos, which means power on the people. And it, it's like when you and look you and we've an- had, we've had two elections in our lifetime where the winner of the popular vote lost the presidential election. Which is, you know, I'm sure people have, have arguments on, on both sides of it. But it, like looking at that, at that sort of thing, I think it's easy for people to get frustrated and say, well, then what is this? 
right? If we're able to just change the outcome based on whatever the people in power want, what actually is this? And I think the first time we saw that, because it was very confusing, like the year 2000, right? We're all like, oh, well, this guy won the popular vote. And then like every parent had to sit down and kind of say, or like the school (laughs) system is like, no, 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 no. It doesn't work (laughs) like that. Um, So kind of from then on, there was this question of like, well, like, what is this system? And is it something that I really actually support? Does it feel fair? Wasn't it um, Hillary that won the, the popular vote? Hillary won the popular vote in 2016 as well. By, That's by, mind-blowing. The fact that you can know that as a fact yeah. and still lose is yeah. mind-blowing. It, 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 yeah, I don't know. I, like my mind, like there's a, there's a big shakeup coming and I think it's, it's really starting. But back, you know, I, I think <laughs> to your original point of like why about 18 years ago. And the other thing that I remember in my lifetime was in 2008, we had that giant recession. Um, the banks were going to default and they had done a lot of the stuff that was going to cause them to default. They went to Congress and Congress gave bailouts to the auto industry and they gave bailouts Mm -hmm. to the banking industry. And there was no company that paid for it. There was a company that paid for it. There's one company that actually paid back everything they gave it. It wasn't Ford. It was Tesla. Tesla Tesla wasn't around then in 2008. They were, they, did they get a bailout? Jake? Oh, good. Jake's here. We're, We're actually just talking about you. Jake, we need you. Jake, we need so you. That we, so, that, so that I don't do another <laughs> eagle smack their beaks. Yeah. I was just, uh, just taking your hard stance about uh, DC needing a statehood. It needs statehood. Can you guys hear me? <laughs> yes. Yeah, we got it. Okay, great. Um, uh, but yeah, so in 2008, there was a lot of like money that was just like given away, which was taxpayer money that was never built in that they needed to repay it. It was never. So there was a lot of stuff that was just like, well, why is this fair? You know? Yeah. So... I, I think like there's there's definitely a group of people that's like, well, this system really doesn't benefit those who need it. It benefits those who run it. Um, and that's where you see the, the discrepancy it between benefits, those. Yeah. It, it benefits those to give money to those who run it. What do you mean? To give money? Like, like, but yeah, because money? They, they save the companies that give the largest contributions to, to politicians as they're running. Yeah. Yep. And and that's a big thing about like lobbying and what's legal yep. and that that's um that's Citizens United. Are you gonna take Walter with you? Yeah. I still can't yeah. believe that lobbying is legal in the States. It, it me either. Jake, why mind. is lobbying still legal in the States? Thirty seconds. It makes a lot of people a lot of money. Okay, all right. <laughs> makes a lot of people <laughs> a lot of money. For a lot of things why yeah. it's legal in the US. Yeah. Walter, I'm so sad Jake. that I'm not one of those people. <laughs> it, you well, we're we're working on it. Making um, a lot of money by doing things that are questionable. No, no, uh, no, morally? just being part of the people that are making a lot of money in something. <laughs> oh, yeah. It'll happen. Love a good lobby. Um, anyway, what were you saying about, oh, yeah, American pride. Anyway, yep. it's it's not, I've never really lived anywhere where I felt like, you know, Rodrigo goes, hi, I'm Rodrigo Garcia Platos. I'm Mexican. And for me, people go, Brian, where do you live? I go, I don't care. I don't know. <laughs> because you don't live anywhere, Brian. <laughs> I, but I have no connect. The only thing is New York. I w- I'm proud to be like, I love New York and I live there. But that's not about the pride of New York City. It's like about something else. It's I the culture of it. New York about like what it offers and how, like sure. if I had to guess, Brian, you love that you can set out on foot and find yourself in like 18 different experiences within one evening based off of the whimsy of whatever this city has to offer. I mean, come on! Doesn't that sound incredible to anyone? Like, my <laughs> goodness, that's that okay, is. I'm true. sorry. I'm sorry for interrupting this, but now that that we have Dan, our amazing producer, we won't make mistakes. Can verify for Rodrigo. Tesla started in '03, received uh, interest 
uh, bearing loans from the Department of Energy in 09 and repaid the, lo the, the loan on May of 2013 with $12 million in interest. Ah, okay, that makes me happy. But also that's different, an interest-bearing loan from the Department of Energy in 09, I think is different than the bailout that like Ford, GMC. Yeah, you're right. It's, it wasn't part of the bailout. I just knew that it was like the only company that actually repaid the money that the government had given it. Yeah. <laughs> Charlie said, I always walk by Richard Kind anytime in New York. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Charlie, what he's the hell everywhere. It's it's so weird because you're right. He's one of those guys just like Who's everywhere. Richard Kind. Richard Kind is if you saw his face or heard his voice, you you might recognize it. And he's like best friend to George Clooney too, which is hilarious. It's the it's it's honestly one of my favorite Hollywood stories. Is is George Clooney and this this like nebbishy Jewish guy with this big mouth, and I don't mean like he talks a lot. I mean it's like a very physically big mouth. Um, okay. Like, we're really good friends. Oh, of course I know him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he's, he's definitely a New York guy. When, just, uh, he's incredible. There's, there's, there's certain people that, like, it's just sort of common that you just sort of see them all the time in New York. Like, there's just certain celebrities where, like, everyone's like, yeah, I've, I've always seen them walking around uh, for whatever reason. Brian, are you playing with a guitar tuner? Yeah, yeah, it just fell. This thing fell off. I like the idea that during the podcast, Brian's at like a tinkering desk and he's got like those magnifying glasses that like kind of flip down and he's like soldering oh, yeah, something. Yeah, those are great. I love those yeah. little glasses. Like Geppetto glasses. I've also seen him in the middle of the podcast like having soup, eating banana. <laughs> <laughs> I just had oatmeal. And now here's I have some chili right here that's going to show up. Yeah. <laughs> Oatmeal and chili? Yeah, don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, just surprised. I'll put any I'm, two foods together. I'm worried about it, yeah. <laughs> Rodrigo's entertained. I'm deeply concerned. <laughs> I'm, I'm thinking that I need to try it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I really like chili. Oh. Yeah, mix them together, have a blast. I'm trying to think, like, is, is there any way this, like, nationalism can relate to our idea of conflict and conflict avoidance we were talking about earlier? Well, Yes, Please. yes, there is. Great. Texas. Texas? <laughs> Period. I, I was I, Texas. Goodbye. Yeah. Nice episode. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, what I, what I mean is I was just in Texas uh, for a couple of days. I, I went to McAllen, and I don't think I, I've ever been to McAllen before, but it's only a two-hour drive from Monterrey, and we were in Monterrey, and that's where people from Monterrey go to do their shopping. And as soon as I got there, the first thing I realized is I wanted to get a hat, and I couldn't get one because there wasn't a hat without the, literally stars and bars and, and the American logo everywhere, like the flag everywhere. Yeah. And I'm like, this is so interesting. Yeah. I mean, they're one of the, I mean, the Southern states, the right wing states, they're way more like America, fuck yeah, than the left states by, by a mile. And that's part of the reason why there is a conflict with the people from California moving to Texas. Like the amount of sketches that have been written about this is mind blowing. And it's true. Yeah. Like, Welcome. Don't bring your, your Democrats with you. you no, know, it's also like one of those things where, you know, once you get a belief in your head, you find evidence for it everywhere. And I think it's kind of dangerous because there's a lot I've seen on the left where it's like anything America does is terrible. It's rooted in these horrible, you know, archaic values. systems. Yeah. yeah, and values and anything is fucking awful. And there's the right. It's like everything we do is perfect. Everything is amazing. So it's like when anything happens, both sides find a way to say this is the greatest thing or this is the worst thing ever. And I've seen – I it sounds like a hyperbole, but I've seen those people where it's just sort of like – 
they find evidence to make America always the worst play. Everything we do is such a dumpster fire in the parlance of the millennial and Gen Z, or it's like, you know, the greatest thing of all time. We're the greatest country and we're infallible. And um, can't we things. agree that it's both <laughs> the phlegmatic, you know, well, I mean, can't we just, some people can exist. You want to know what's, well, it's, it's so funny because it's like, I do have a, well, I guess we're both kind of right. Um, I think, yeah. I think that most people do think it's both. I think, all right, I have a, I have a deeper philosophical point to make once you. Oh, make now yours. I really want to hear both. Well, my, my my thought was, yeah, was 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 just about like it's gonna be long. You do your thing first. Okay, I here's I just <laughs> I thought about this. I read this article recently, or this like um, I, I don't know some study saying that we actually have a there's something we believe where we believe so many things about people. God, this is so complex. Like, here's what happened in this, this thing. They gave people like a um, a thing of like, what do you think most people value and what do you value? And they found that like a lot of people responded, like in this one, it was like fame was one of them. And everyone put that they thought everyone else valued fame like way up here, but they themselves valued it not at all down here. And the idea was with <sighs> all this belief that everyone else believes something that they don't really believe. Like we're so, sort of like, think this about like it's like when we make statements like gosh everyone today they fucking they want to do this they think like this everyone like they're so obsessed with this but everyone else is saying that about everyone else including you so sometimes you can create these images that you think that everyone believes these things but since everyone's saying about everyone it's almost like you're maybe the way i'm the way i was just talking about like all these people on the left are saying this and all these people on the right think like this in my head, I'm like, am I trapped in that same fallacy? Am I just saying like, oh yeah, all these people on the left think this way. And then there's all these people on the left saying, yeah, all these people on the left think this. And everyone is sort of just saying that, even though no one actually thinks that way. Which brings me to my grander point, which is, I wonder if you, even those people that do get stuck in the idea of like, America's amazing and everyone, America, or America's uh, terrible. And Ross was like, can it just be somewhere in the middle? I wonder if everyone really does deep down believe it is somewhere in the middle, but you get wrapped up in this rhetoric that you don't actually believe sometimes. And you say things because you, and when someone actually like kind of presses you on the point, it's not actually what you believe, but you're just sort of like kind of just trapped in the language that you just hear a bunch and you say it. And then it looks like you kind of like on, or on different sides, but in reality, uh, you're not. I don't know. I opened a lot of doors there. No, uh, yeah, I, I, you you set me up for to kind of go into this where it's like I have a um, I, I've been longing for a simpler time, which maybe mm-hmm. we we all do at one point or another. But like, where and did it ever even really exist? Or did I it only exist so. in your mind? I think so. Where it's like, like I I long like I love the idea of being proud of your country. I really do. And there's elements of it that I find to be dangerous when you start to say, like, we're better than these people. When you don't accept another culture because you're prioritizing your culture over over almost their right to exist. So, so like, like 99 of Americans do that. What? 99 of Americans do that. 99 of Europeans do that. Percent it's, or it's, just 99 you know, total? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, like, it's like ethnocentrism. And that's that's the thing, part of it. That I'm I, also saying like, do 99 percent of people do it, or is that one of those things where we go? I bet 99 percent of people do it, and everyone else is going, you know, 99 percent of people do this, but not me. Is everyone saying that? 
I don't know. I'm saying I'm saying 99, 99%, and I'm making it the 99% up, obviously. But uh, a huge percentage of people that live within the first world have the tendency to not really be able to understand another culture and actually get out of their own. I can That's give true. you an example. Most of the most of the mistakes that Americans make while trying to learn Spanish is by tr thinking that they can just translate the words from English and they have the same meaning because they're not interpreting the language. They're just trying to translate their line of thought. And that's something that you see in people from first world countries all the time. Yeah. And, and I, that's the part of that's it that I, that I really grapple and, and struggle with. And I think part of it is in uh, like European countries, the ability to travel to different countries, different cultures is way more accessible. Yeah. In the United States, in order to really explore like another country or another culture, like, you know, with the exclusion of Mexico and Canada, honestly, is so similar to, to the United States. It mm -hmm. doesn't really feel like another cultural exploration. Yeah. It is something that's only afforded to the like, like those with means to travel over there. Like like a flight to Europe can cost a thousand dollars, right? Not and that's just getting there. Not to mention the stays and the food and the feeding yourself. So it's one of those things where it's like we don't really get exposed to many other cultures on their home turf. Meaning, like we it. get that's a lot gross. of cultures that come here, but like and there's this idea of like, well, no, like this is America. Learn how to speak English is something that you'll hear a lot, but like I think my perspective started to expand when I went to when I went to Europe, when I started going around Eastern Europe, when I saw these other things and I went, whoa, like this is their reality. Like I'm the stranger in, in their land. And the humility that I think that gave me to understand of like my world, United States is just a perspective. Like it's what I grew up in. It was what I was born into. And like that sort of mental flexibility, I really wish that for, for a lot of people. Most people never come to that conclusion. I just, I just looked up a, a number. I, I had to make a little 58. Math. Yeah. <laughs> no, like 40, 43.6% of the United States has a valid passport. Yeah. Less no, than I, half. I don't know why I've never really put this into perspective, Ross, but you just said that like being able to actually explore and see other cultures is a, you have to have wealth to some degree. You have to, have, it's a privilege of having money. Not really. In America, I mean, no, you don't, but Dude, if you, you can, don't. You can fly to Costa Rica and spend a week there like as a backpacker, honestly, for what? A thousand dollars? Okay, look, yeah, you can, but, you can be, you can be a traveling vagrant. thousand dollar vacation is, is like, Yeah, most, you, most people don't have the, they don't want to spend that much money. If you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're, exactly. if you're not, very, and especially if you want to go to like somewhere like, you know, India, like someplace where it's like, it's going to cost even more than what it costs to go to just London or Costa Rica. You're going to even pay, you know, it's just most people don't have the means to do that. And it's only more richer I don't, people. I don't think it's a means thing. I think it's an interest thing and value thing. Like I think most, most people in the first world don't see the value in traveling and they don't, they don't, but don't understand. Don't you think it's a, it's a means the, thing too though, right? Because like a lot of people difficulty. just, yeah, like, it's like, sorry. If you have the money, if you have a lot of excess money, you're like, I should go travel with this money. But if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're like, I'm in debt, I can barely make, I got to work so much. Uh, someone wants to go to France for a week? No fucking way. I can't fucking do that right now. I'm like barely able to like make these car and house payments and you just sort of chase that. You're not going to be totally able to. I totally understand that. But Mexico is one of the top countries that sends people to the World Cup and people are way poorer than in the States. 
You mean like like flies people to go yes. attend it? Like, why do you think why do you think FIFA loves us? We don't have an amazing team. We've never won anything, like anything meaningful. But you guys spend all of your money on people, uh, on people, people mortgage there. like people get a second mortgage on their home to go to to go to the World Cup. Like, I, I don't know if you've seen this, but there's videos of. Um, uh, of Mexico playing Argentina and Mexico playing like all the teams that we played in this World Cup. And you can listen to the amount of Mexicans just saying, and look at us again, look at us again, we're locals again. Because all you can hear in the stadium as Mexico's playing is Mexican people screaming like they're in Mexico City. Okay, if there was the Super Bowl was held all over the world, I bet more people would go travel yeah. from the uh, places that really don't. But yeah, I think they're because I've I've definitely but that's talked because to they see the value because yeah. it's yes. even poor people that live paycheck to paycheck. It's that about mindset it and value. Exactly. But there's there's another. I think part it's of both this. though, right? Like it's got to be Brian, both a little bit. How long is the the train from Paris to England? Like two hours. two hours. So two a three. two hour trip to go from Paris to England, right? That that's a big cultural shift, right? For us, if we wanted to go to Costa Rica. That's like a six-hour flight, even if it's if it's affordable. It's taking the time, the investment, the effort into doing this thing that is, like, geographically speaking. Oh, that's like, true. Yeah, we we live on such a little not island, but kind of like almost our own continent. Whereas if you live in Europe, it's like it's a long car ride to get to another country. It's and at the, and at the same time, if you think about it, money-wise, how much money do people spend to go to the Super Bowl? Too much. Sometimes they pay thousands of dollars to get the tickets and they yeah. still live paycheck to, to paycheck. So it has to do with a mindset and value. Look, Abraham that just joined us in Patreon, he's from, he's from Mexico City too. And he's saying, I've seen Mexicans selling glasses outside of the stadium to pay for their trip. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's no doubt that when there's a will, there's a way. Uh, yeah, there's I definitely agree. Like in, in our culture, there's definitely like America's number one. Why would we want to go anywhere else? I haven't seen this movie. I should probably see it. But have you, Brian? Did you ever see Michael Moore's Where to Invade Next? No. Oh, was that God. a recent he one? Has or a documentary called Where to Invade Next. But but like so, here's the concept of it: is he goes to all of these other countries that are doing things better than the United States, and he goes like, here's what we as the United States should adopt um, of all these different. You know, I, I I should watch the movie and come back and actually speak on it, like. Uh, because it's something that I have been interested in for a while. But this idea of like, we're number one, we're number one is now more of a catchphrase than it is uh, an actuality yep. at this point. Um, and, and I think like when there's, there's a lot of, and, and you notice this all the time in your sessions, right, Rodrigo, of, of, you know, people that are like kind of presenting themselves in these grandiose ways because they don't actually want to look inside and see the areas that they actually need to develop on. Always. And that there's, <laughs> like very there's parts of the U.S. <laughs> that would funny. rather just chant, I'm the best, I'm the best, rather than like, ooh, no, like let's improve this and let's ooh, actually Ross, work you're making to some be good the points. Best. That's a really good uh, metaphor. Yes, yeah. it is. Ross you is know smart what? in 2023. God, let's keep it going. We like this version of you. <laughs> yeah, so he's coming into his own. Um, there was a, a Brene Brown uh Instagram reel that I saw where she was talking about narcissism is actually one of the biggest shame-based uh, afflictions, I guess we'll call it an affliction, that there is because it's it's this defense mechanism and the most deeply insecure people actually present narcissistic tendencies because of it. It's true. You know what else I think about that a lot is hypnotism. A lot of people go, uh, I can't be hypnotized because they want to be strong, but only people who are very scared of being hypnotized can't be hypnotized. 
So it's uh-huh. like by be, showing that you can't be hypnotized, you're showing that you have a vulnerability and a weakness to, you know, basically like that you basically aren't brave enough to do it, which is really funny. And by the way, there's going to be brave at all because it's, it's fun. There's nothing weird about it, but it's like, it's just I very was literally, I was literally having a conversation about this yesterday and talking about how Brian can be, can be hypnotized like in two minutes. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about Archie, not Brian. Okay. Hey. I'm sorry, Archie, yeah. <laughs> That was a great episode. Anyone that hasn't listened to it, go back and listen to the episode where Brian gets hypnotized into another biotype. That, I, that, that's on the all-time biotypical yes, episodes is. list for sure. I remember it. With, so. Especially with Charlie finding the character that Brian was becoming. That was mind-blowing. Yeah. Now, just to bother uh, Sony a little bit. Um, he was saying, my parents are in McAllen right now. And, and yes, Texans are very proud of being Texan and very proud of being American. And also the, the, the Texan flag has, has white, blue, and red. Uh, did you want to be a little bit bothered? Have you seen the Chilean flag? It's like the same flag, right? It's almost identical. They, Texas stole it. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, Texans. I love yeah. you. <laughs> Please They're don't let you yeah, the don't even mess with those guys. Dude, yeah, that's I, literally I, their tagline is don't mess with us. <laughs> I know. Dude, like Texans are scary. Um, like I was crossing the border, and this is always mind-blowing. Um, I, I was crossing the border while driving, which I haven't done in a really long time. Uh, maybe once with my dad when I was in my 20s. And I gave the guy my passport after an hour and a, and a half in a, in a line waiting. And then I finally gave him my, my passport. And, and the guy went into his booth, came out and said, huh, you haven't been on this side of the country for a long time and you never cross in a, in a car. What's wrong? Huh. Yeah, like he was like, you're not in your part of the woods. What is this? And I'm like, um, oh, yeah, I actually work in California a lot. And you're like, oh, okay. That's my wife. Yeah. <laughs> and here's another thing. This is something that people from Mexico City will never know because we never cross the border driving, most of us. But um, people from Nuevo León and people from Monterrey in particular know perfectly well that as you're in the line to cross the border, you're being listened to. What do you mean? There's, there's a bunch of stories. I know people that, that, that have experienced this, that were in the line, in their car, windows closed. And one of them just started saying, that, like, fuck American. Why the hell are they making us do this line? Look at the Americans just crossing to Mexico like nothing. We don't even ask for anything to go there, blah, blah, blah. And then as soon as they get to the booth, the police officer goes like, so what were you saying about Americans? Oh, shit. Yeah, and they turn them right back around and send them back to Mexico. That's sensitive. America. <laughs> fuck yeah. yeah. Look how America, cool we are. Fuck you. <laughs> God, it is. Yeah, America, fuck you is better. It is. That is. I'm just thinking about your little metaphor, Rod. Wait, America is that guy who's like, I don't need fucking therapy. Yes. That's who America is. <laughs> yeah. Fuck that. You're like, I'm number one. It's like, where? You used to be. It's like, look, in, in high school, I, I won mean, the fucking still, national championship. <laughs> you're still number one in, in <laughs> like like my global obesity, I think. Yeah, but, but like that's the thing. Like, I, I love the opportunity that America promises. Like, I, I, like on paper, I'm like, the concept is incredible. And I started watching this History Channel show called like The Food That Made Us. And I was watching this. Um, episode about it's like the cookie wars it's about like founding of oreo and nabisco and to look at like the innovation that took place when we moved from localized bakeries to national bakeries like like a national product 
It, I know it may sound boring, but I promise no, you it's no. riveting and It made me think about how you need to remove three body problem, but uh, okay. Okay. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm excited because he's talking about processed food. That's my jam. That's, the, yeah, that's, that's your, your favorite thing. Your arena. Oh, God. <laughs> but it was, it was really interesting, like the hostile takeovers that were happening even back then that like kind of this country was built on. And there was this point where it was like, this was actually making Americans' lives easier. And I was, I was sitting down and I was thinking about this last night. We were having imported wine from, from South Africa and we were eating um, like until our bellies were full. And I'm like, this was something that only kings could experience like a hundred, hundreds of years ago. Yep. And now, you know, the three of us are, are you know, middle class, if, if not like, you know, Jake might be upper middle class. I'm shouting out his, his salary on the, the podcast, but... Jake lend us money. Yeah, but the, <laughs> the idea that we could eat the way that only kings could, if fine imported wine from distant lands until our bellies were full, like, this is something that innovation created. And now and it's just something that... And globalization, nationalization, all these things that were able to give us, these things that we can then make on our own and, and create within our own homes at almost any income level, right? Yeah. Now we're to a point where, like, these, these global conglomerates have, like, kind of dominated the sphere in such a way where it's like, where does the, the tipping point happen? Because we're starting to see the downside of what, what globalized capitalism can yep. look like when it comes to... I was just talking with them. I'm getting my conversations confused. But when, when um, William Shatner went up to space, he came back and he was just like, we're destroying this planet. And he goes, I, I felt grief. Like it's just, Earth is so fragile. Earth is so small compared to like everything else that's out there. Did he, did he see the plastic island in the Pacific from space? I don't know, but you can. But I'm saying like, uh, yeah. like these God things that body improved our <laughs> lives in such a huge way now we get to manage it. That, that, this is my personal opinion. Of course, it's like now we get to manage it so that this is sustainable. Like we're entering into this new age, this new era of, yes, everything's available. Like everything is widely spread. But the question is, how do we make this sustainable so that it, like we can only grow to a certain point? Now it's about like making this a way that we can all benefit and that the planet can still survive underneath all of this stuff that we're mass producing. End of rant. Um, well, that, well, that's why the tide is, is turning because we're actually going from, from governments that wanted everything to be global and the Euro and the European Union and, and let's make transactions easier and free trade agreements. And that's, that's stopping. Uh, like the new political tendency in the world is to go back to nationalism. Yeah. And um, nationalism to me carries the connotation of like the negative parts of that. When I think nationalism, you think of like Nazis or I think of Nazis. I think of like, like a bad form of, I mean, that's, of, that's national socialism, socialism or, 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 uh, social democracy. Yeah. But, but when we say nationalism in this way, we mean more like, uh, look for things that were created close to you, like support your industry. Don't buy from the Chinese, buy from people that, that, that are working on this, bring the jobs back to your country. Uh, like, like all of that is nationalism. But even be, even beyond that of like, how local do you want to get? Because if you think about like, if I, am I going to support the mom and pop shops in my neighborhood? Right. Yeah. I live in Los Angeles, but even within Los Angeles, I live in a smaller neighborhood. Right, and in that neighborhood, can you is give it your, worth your it precise address? Yeah. 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 Social security number. Um, but it's like, <laughs> like, am I supporting my local restaurants, or am I eating at McDonald's? 
because if all I eat at is McDonald's, then my local restaurants won't be able to survive. And then all of a sudden, you won't be able to survive either. And neither will I. Um, (laughs) But I'm I'm like, there's like, there's so many different degrees of, are you doing national? Are you doing local? And this, this applies to, in my mind, politics, this applies to goods and services because the people like in your area, in your neighborhood, in your community, need a way to survive. And if they can employ themselves, that gives them a certain freedom, you know, to be able to have the local mom and pop shop. And I I really think that there's a, a, like you said, the tide is changing to people saying like, we need a balance. We need the McDonald's, but we also need Deborah's cookies. You know, we, we, we need the both of them. And this is something extremely interesting because even though I'm a little bit older than you, just a little bit, like 15 minutes, but <laughs> even though I'm, I'm older than you, because of the cultures that I came from, I'm still a son of global, of globalization. And, and you guys have this, this way more evolved, honestly, perspective of, of like Ross has taken me, taken me several times to, to the, the little market in that, that's a couple of times a week in his neighborhood and we've gotten food there and we've had it. And that's not that, that's very Mexican. It used to be very Mexican, but, but because I grew up here, we fell in love. I'm, I'm a teenager that just got Milky Way at some point. Like we only had national brands of candy. We only had national brands of cars or American brands. That was it. And in my, in my early teenage years, suddenly we got a free trade agreement with half of the world and things that you can only get in the States or in Europe. Now you can get in your, in your normal store in Mexico and brands of cars that we had never seen finally arrived. And the thing with that is we fell in love with globalization and we're just waking up to this. No, no, no. Like love your land first, which is something that you guys are are like 10 years ahead of us. in. And I, I, I really like the idea of both working hand in hand. I don't know how that happens because it's like there's so many different driving forces that are pushing in these different directions. But there are are a few things that compare to walking into like a neighborhood store that's being run by someone in your community and feeling like maybe this is the most phlegmatic thing in the world, but feeling like you're supporting like, oh, yeah, like this guy lives down the street. This guy's family is here. And and by going in and, and purchasing from them, I'm keeping my neighborhood afloat. I'm here to fact check. To fact check, yes, that is the most phlegmatic thing in the world. Okay, great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, because some people some people aren't like that, Ross. Some people are like, well, this company does it better. So, you know, I know you guys are mom and pop store. But, look, if we're trying to get the most goods to the most amount of people in the most efficient way, be better. Be better than them. If not, you're going to die. That's how it works. Maybe start your own company. But, like, there's ways people think oh. like that. I mean, For that's sure. how marbles, marbles has a capitalist pig inside of him. Yeah, I'm just saying in. people <laughs> think that way. <laughs> but okay? let, me, let me tell 99% you 99% of people, people just not you, that right? Everyone else thinks that way, but not me. <laughs> but, but I agree with you. But I think when things get mass produced to such a degree, you lose a little bit of quality because you need to make it quickly. You need to make them in mass versus like you, you make, can't you need tell to make me them that cheap. A, Everything is about the, mar- the margin. Yeah. T- tell me that a Chips Ahoy cookie is better than a homemade cookie. Chips yeah. always better than homemade cookies. Oh, okay. Well, that's I wasn't asking you. <laughs> <laughs> Unless my wife made them. Yeah. But like, you know, I have a friend who's who's this French baker and and she makes these like very unique twists. But I, on- I, I think that if you make great cookies, that'll win out. People will buy your great cookies over Chips Ahoy. If they right? know about like, them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was hard. But it's like good luck going up against Nabisco. You know, it's like 
They have unlimited funds. This is becoming such a Marxist episode. But I think that's kind of where we, we fall. I don't think that's a bad thing to be, especially because there's room for capitalism, right? I mean, y- yes, but the thing is, when people, uh, we've spoken about this briefly in the past, but when people speak about Marxism, <laughs> what, the, what they think is about communism. Uh-huh. And, and Marx did, didn't give a solution. He passed away before he gave a solution. He was just diagnosing the problem. But, but when, you, when you read the, the, the Communist Manifesto, what you realize is what, what he's talking about is how big companies and the company owner is actually a thief because he's taking someone that used to make something and put, put his soul into it and rip the benefits of it 100% and actually hire them to make one little part of what they used to do and, and pay them as little as possible so that you can keep the margins of the labor of their work. Can we, I read what Charlie said because he made a very stupid point. He said, choleric's values, values build the world, melancholics reflect on it, phlegmatic values balance us back out when we forget what's important. And sanguine values build the water parks. <laughs> <laughs> and Dania said, build more water parks. <laughs> I totally agree with that. And we've spoken about this many times in the past, but if you see the types of problems that sanguine countries get into, it usually has to do with build something that we didn't need. <laughs> We're into that. We're I need mean, um, water, water wait, parks. I was about something. Okay, this is a, I was thinking about this. This is a kind of a tangential thing, but based on something, just the idea of making things like, quick and streamlined and easy and all this stuff that we're trying to do. I wonder if we're in a bit of a crisis right now because I, I remember, I, yeah, I remember <laughs> hearing this like um, study about dogs where if you just put weights on a dog, just put weights on them. They live longer because they have something to do. They have, they have a thing to fight against every day. Uh, they're, they're like carrying something. And I think like as we move forward as a society, we think that we want to make everything easier. Everything streamlined. Amazon to your house, Zoom, every convo. Look at the comfort we live. You're talking about having that belly full of wine or whatever, Ross. Only kings used to do that. Now anyone can do it. And I'm like, I think it's not really what we want. I think it's like this trick where we think we want it, but actually it's like the weights on the dog. Like take off too many weights and it like kills us faster. I don't know what you I'm, lose. No, but it's true. You lose purpose. Yeah. Like when, when things become easy, you, you lose purpose and, and you lose excitement about the things like, right. One of the things that bothers me a lot is how fast technology changes. Right. Because I have an iPhone 13, the 14 came out. I don't feel masterful at using this device. Like yeah, yeah. I don't feel like I've mastered it and I know exactly how it works. And I kind of miss when I was a kid and I would get a new toy and that new toy was the only thing out and nothing new would come out in like 10 years. So you had to appreciate it and become like really masterful yeah. with it. And it was a beautiful experience. Yeah. And now it feels like everything is disposable because the new thing is right around the corner. Yeah, I feel the same way with, with movies and content. It's just coming yeah. out so much. I used to be like, I'd see the movie every Friday and think about it all week. You know, it's going to blow your mind. What? Chat GPT. Have you been playing with this at all? Is that the I've, AI? I've, yes. I saw, I saw Ooh, I a, a video of Ben Shapiro last night breaking it. So Chat GPT, we're on Chat GPT 3 right now. And it can already code. It can already write blog posts. You can say, act as an expert in psychology and give me a breakdown on how to you know, recover from a breakup. Right? It will write out something right in front of you. Chat GPT-4, which is slated to come out this next year, is supposed to be 500 times smarter than this current version. 
Here's, yes, AI, as Charlie said, just sort of, in the past month, AI has sort of picked up a little bit. Everyone was making their pretty paintings of themselves. Everyone was having uh, I chat. did. Right, yeah, I did too. It was great. They had uh, chats write, uh, or bots write stories, and they're all pretty good. And I remember, like, at least for artists, there was this big thing of, like, this is terrible. Like, this is going to take away the need for artists. And it's one of those things talking about having like purpose or whatever. It's like, that's not true at all. Like artists don't make art because they, the finished product is great. It's because doing it is uh, a blast or at least is gives them meaning and purpose. It's almost like they made robots who played basketball really well. They're going to be like, no one's going to play basketball anymore. It's like, what are you talking about? I love playing basketball. That's the point of it. So I don't know. I just had a, it was a little conniption I had because a lot of people were upset that these robots are making great art. And I'm like, Dad, who cares? Let them make their great art. It doesn't detract at all from other people with the purpose of, of doing art. They're not going to stop. You're not going to – it's not going to be any less fulfilling. I have an idea. I want to do this. I just asked the chat, does anyone have access to ChatGPT? And Charlie was like, of course I do. <laughs> Charlie, I think it would be kind of fun right now for Biotypical to play and stress test ChatGPT. So let's do this. Our, We're going to take 2023 okay. – we're Our first guest in 2023 is, 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 is AI. Is a robot. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, first question. What is biotypical? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see if it can answer. I asked it what it was, like who is Ross Birkin? And the answer was like, it almost made me cry. Um, but it changes every time that you, that you ask it. Which what is did it say? Here, I'll read it He's to you. He's no one. <laughs> he is no one and nowhere, and yet he is all. Cheap pizza. <laughs> Charlie, can you share a screen? Yeah, Charlie, we want you to come on, man, and, and share a screen. Okay. So here's what ChatGPT said when we said, who is Ross Birkin? Ross Birkin is a multi-award-winning film producer and manager. He's produced numerous films for major Hollywood studios, independent film companies, and network and cable sources. His projects have received critical acclaim, winning multiple awards, including an Academy Award, three Emmy Awards, the Peabody Award, and the Humanitas Prize. Well, that's, that's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but it's also very right. It's, it's, it's absolutely right about your vision, 100%. Maybe I, it knows more than I do. How do I do it? I'm at the, do you have to download it? That's why I wanted to see. Charlie's going to It does know what Brian Typical is. No, Rodrigo is. <sighs> Charlie, so come on camera on microphone. Maybe let's ask it a psychological question. Like how and do we you want handle- you to, to share screen with ChatGPT. Uh, do, do, do. hold on, gotta hide Hi, Alex. conversations. <laughs> Happy New Year, Charlie. Happy New Year, guys. You know what I hate about being in my 30s? Is I'll wake up sometimes and I'll be like, I think I pulled my back sleeping. I don't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that means you're getting old. Yeah, yeah, I'm saying that's why in the 30s kind of suck. So, first question to ChatGPT is what are biotypes? And it's not answering anything. We broke it. Biotypes is a cult <laughs> by three charlatans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, how can someone with a sanguine temperament relate to someone with a choleric temperament? Does it take spelling into account? Hopefully. I don't like that it doesn't know who I am. Even, even Akinator knew who I was. <laughs> Google knows who you are. Of course it does. Did it break? We broke Here it. Here we go. Oh, this is good. Read it. You want me to read it? Yeah, yeah Charlie, you, you do a good voice. People with a sanguine temperament are generally outgoing, talkative, and sociable. They tend to be optimistic and enjoy being around others. On the other hand, people with a choleric temperament are typically more decisive, ambitious, and assertive. They tend to be action-oriented and may have a short fuse. fuse. 
to relate to someone with a choleric temperament, it can be helpful to be respectful of their time and their need to get things done. It may be helpful to direct, uh, to be direct and to point and, and to the point in your communication, as choleric individuals tend to value efficiency. It can also be helpful to try to stay positive and not get too caught up in conflicts or negativity, as choleric individuals can be prone to getting easily angry or frustrated. Ultimately, the key to relating to anyone, regardless of their temperament, is to be open, understanding, and respectful of their unique characteristics and needs. I think you guys, I think that's the last episode of the podcast. I think Rodriguez <laughs> fired and we're done. I am now useless. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. Dude, Chad GPT knows biotypes. Yeah. Yeah, this is pretty wild. I mean, it's only talking about the personality, but 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 that's very accurate. It's not possible to be a horses or any type of animal. Eagles are birds of prey. All right, Wait, you so have to ask the question smart. out loud first. It's an audio Are eagles organ. turning people into horses? It says it is not possible for eagles to turn people into horses or any other type of animal. Eagles are birds of prey. They're known for their keen vision, strong wings, and sharp talons. They, and then it gets really boring. Uh, look, there's a documentary on YouTube called Eagles Are Turning People Into Horses that will point to otherwise. So I suggest you all watch that. I'm sure it's not a documentary. That. Rodrigo, what do, you wanna, what do you want to ask this thing? Ask what is biotypical. Ask what is uh, the. Oh, no, I'm, I'm sorry, but I'm not familiar with the term biotypical. Could you provide me more context or clarify okay, right, what you're asking? What is a biotypical podcast? Without more information, I'm unable to answer your question. There are many podcasts with the word biotypical in the title or description. It's not oh, clear which one you're referring to. Tell me about this psychology podcast called Biotypical, hosted by Rodrigo, Ross, and Brian. I'm sorry, but I'm unable to find it. <laughs> All right. This is good. This is good. There's still holes in this thing. Can you ask what is Britannic? Okay, wait, I like this better. Make, Make up a, a story about a psychology podcast called Biotypical, hosted by Rodrigo Ross and Brian. Biotypical is a popular psychology podcast hosted by three friends, Rodrigo, Ross, and Brian. Each week, they explore a different topic in the field of psychology, ranging from the latest research on the brain to practical tips for improving mental health. <laughs> Not even wow. close. Rodrigo, a licensed therapist. Hey, whoa, okay. Nice. Brings a wealth of clinical expertise to the show, offering insights and strategies for managing common mental health issues. Ross, a cognitive psychologist, brings a more research-oriented perspective, sharing the latest findings from his lab and other scientific studies. Brian, a self-proclaimed psychological psychology enthusiast, <laughs> adds a more laid-back and relatable touch, sharing his own experiences and struggles with mental health. Together, the trio creates a dynamic and engaging show that is both informative and entertaining. They built a loyal following of listeners who tune in each week to hear their insights and advice. Whether you're a mental health professional or just someone looking to learn more about the mind and behavior, Biotypical has something for everyone. Okay. The last part I like. Can I ask a question? Ask it, can you give the most inaccurate synopsis to the movie Jurassic Park? <laughs> <laughs> Brian and his mental health problems. <laughs> <laughs> Sure. Here's a highly inaccurate <laughs> synopsis of the movie Jurassic Park. Jurassic Park is a heartwarming tale about a group of misunderstood dinosaurs who <laughs> <laughs> rescued from a life of solitude on a remote island by kind-hearted scientists. With the help of some clever engineering, the scientists able to transform the dinosaurs into gentle domesticated creatures who become the star attractions at a new theme park. But when a group of great 
greedy businessmen try to exploit the park for their own financial gain, the dinosaurs must band together to defend their new home and prove that they are more than just mindless beasts. Along the way, they discover the true meaning of friendship and importance of standing up for what you believe in. That's amazing. I would absolutely watch this. <laughs> that is- Dude, my kid and I would enjoy this movie so much. <laughs> Especially the misunderstood dinosaurs. That's really funny. Rodrigo, anything else you want to ask it? Um, let's ask something about what's the difference between Mexican and American culture. There's a lot riding on this question, chap. There are many differences between Mexican and American culture as each country has its own unique history, traditions, and values. Here are a few examples of some key differences between the two cultures. Language. While both countries have English as their dominant language... What? Uh, okay. Uh, Spanish is also widely spoken in Mexico and is often the first language for many Mexicans. Often? In the United States, Spanish is also spoken by a significant portion of the population, no. but is not as widespread as in Mexico. Family values. Family is often considered to be a very important part of Mexican culture, and extended families are common. It's not uncommon for multiple generations to live together or for adult children to live close to their parents even after they've started their own families. I live a block away from my parents. (laughs) In the United States, the nuclear family, consisting of a parent or parents and their children, is more common and is more typical for adult children to live independently from their parents. That one seems right. Religion. Catholicism is is the dominant religion in Mexico, with the majority of Mexicans being Roman Catholics. Is that true? Fact, yeah. Okay. In the United States, Christianity is the dominant religion, but there's more religious diversity with Protestantism, Catholicism, and various other denominations all represented. There are also many people in the United States who do not practice any religion. Food. Mexican culture is known for its use of spice, such as cumin and chili pepper, and ingredients like beans, corn, and avocado. American cuisine is more diverse, but it is often characterized by the use of processed and prepackaged foods, as well as fast food. These are just a few examples. All right. That was good. Who's Brian McElhaney? Oh, yeah. Let's Don't, see if we can get this. Let's not, let's not hear about this one. You, all my secrets come out. <laughs> what a is, crazy scientist that turns what eagles into horses. What is Britannic? I'm sorry, but I'm not familiar with the term Britannic. Kill, it. Kill the robot. <laughs> <laughs> Unplug it now. Yeah, it didn't. It's not like a Google search engine, but. No. Uh, you can use it here. Here, um, let's let's Rodrigo. What's something that um, a lot of your clients come to ask you, like a, like a, a problem that that they would come and be like, "Hey, I'm I'm dealing with this situation." Well, for example, lately I've had like an important percentage of people asking about their gambling problems. Okay, mm. so yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> Pretend your therapist named Rodrigo. <laughs> And answer this question. Okay. I'm asking how to deal with my gambling problems. And I'll tell everyone listening, if you guys want to hear what ChatGPT says as Rodrigo, head on over to patreon.com slash development where you can hear the full extended version of this episode as well as join us live for these recordings. It's 2023 and it's going to be an incredible year. Want more Biotypical? Well, good news, there's a longer version of this episode available at patreon.com slash rgpdevelopment. There, you'll also be able to find ways to get on the podcast yourself, ask questions, as well as watch a live taping remotely. Thank you so much for supporting the podcast and subscribing. Remember to rate this five stars wherever you're listening to it, and we'll see you next time.